0: This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Sometimes people want everything that's in the Bible to apply universally to everybody on the earth. That's how some people want it to be. But that's not how the Bible is written. For example... This letter that we're in, in Colossians, was written to, specifically to a church, a fellowship of believers in an Asian city named Colossae, sometime around the mid-first century. And Christ makes, or Paul, excuse me, makes an assumption here in this letter to this church. Let's read, and you see if you can't tell me what the assumption is that he makes, all right? Verse Verse 6 Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Some powerful words there and words that are going to carry us in the next week as well. But I want us to focus this morning on on the, especially verses 6 and 7. But Paul says, hey, I, I'm going to make an assumption about you. Did you figure out what the assumption is? It's in the very first words that I read or down in there in verse, in verse, uh, verse six, uh, the the assumption is this: you Colossians, the people in this church that I'm writing this letter to. My assumption about you is that you have done what? Somebody tell me. You've received Christ. That's Paul's assumption. You've received Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to them, "I, I believe that you are Christians." I. And, and, he, and that also tells us that he makes that assumption that the instructions that are coming here and the instructions that have been so far, really, are geared toward, written toward those who have received Christ, those are who are Christians. Now, what that tells me, it should tell you this as well, is that the church, at least in the first century, was made up of people who had made a decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. The word received, we've all been through, mostly everybody in this room, I'm sure, has been through third or fourth grade. We all understand that the word received, somebody tell me, is in what tense, grammatically? Past tense. Four of you got that when you were in fourth grade got that ed on the end of it that means it's past tense that means this has already happened in your lives just as you have received christ somewhere in your past somewhere in your life for me it was as a 10 year old boy just as you've received christ so walk in him i want you to walk that way as well paul wasn't writing this saying you know what about you church at colossi i hope you receive christ Paul wasn't saying, I'm praying that you receive Christ. Paul wasn't saying, I'm writing these things that you might receive Christ. He says to them, you've already done that. I understand that. I assume that. He makes the assumption they're already Christians. These people had already received Jesus as Savior. And in the Bible, those with that kind of faith experience are part of the church that means this if you're taking notes that means the church which is people the church is not a building the church is not an institution the church is a, a, a people gathered together that means the church is exclusively believers in Christ it's not people who are not believers in Christ now don't you know don't you think Rick everybody who belongs to a church is christian and the answer to that is oh of course not You know, I I think that's pretty obvious. Why is that? I've known many people who count themselves as belonging to a church. And their reason for belonging, they know they belong to a church, is because sometime as a child, maybe they were an infant as I was, uh, maybe uh, later on in in their childhood they were baptized. So I'm now part of the church because I was baptized. But the word that Paul uses here, just as you have received Christ, the Greek word here for received is a word that means that means taken or joined oneself. In other words, you have joined yourself to Jesus. My parents cannot join me to Jesus. Only I can join myself to Jesus. If someone believes he or she is a Christian because of a decision their parents made when they were children, that wasn't their own personal decision, that means they have not taken or joined themselves to anyone. And and I think that's telling. And some of you, this is your testimony. Later on in life, you did receive Christ, but you would say, you know, I grew up in this church, in this denomination, in this religion, and it wasn't my own. It was my parents. It was my grandparents. I never took it as my own. And so when I became a teenager, when I became a young adult, I walked away from it because it had no personal hold in my life. It wasn't anything that I had done myself. Myself, and, and, and maybe you recited prayers, memorized a catechism, took communion. But if you've never personally received Christ, you have no relationship with him and you're not part of his family. But I've also known Baptists. We're a Baptist church here. You guys are from a Baptist church, right? I could tell because you didn't clap when we sang, all right? No rhythm. Is that what it is? That's why you come here to learn how to do that, all right? These people here never, it took them eight years, all right, to get where we are today. I've known Baptists who count themselves as belonging to a church because they responded to an invitation. At the end of a service, The preacher said, come, and they came and shook the preacher's hand and filled out a card and joined the church. Or they took a class, or, or you know, they were baptized and they joined up. And I know some who believe they're part of a church simply because, well, I contribute financially, I put money in the offering, I attend regularly. And while all of those, I believe all those are good things. I think baptism is a great thing. I think attendance in church is a wonderful thing. I think giving to God is is something God asks us to do, wants, expects from us. I think they're all good things, but hear me now. None of those things qualifies anyone to be part of a church without a personal faith, without personally joining oneself to Christ, receiving Him, accepting Him as your Savior. As Paul had already said in in previous verses, to the Colossians, this life that we live and these beliefs that we hold to as Christians. He labored the point, I think, in, in chapter 1, is, is all centered around one person. Somebody tell me who that one person is. I heard one little whisper. Who is that one person? Somebody, please. Jesus. Thank you for not being ashamed to say his name. I'm. You know what? The 9 o'clock crowd, they were way on top of this. Much better than... I don't know what the deal is here. Come on, folks. Don't be you, you guys knew that answer, right? From classy. It's okay to speak out when I ask you to. Otherwise, be quiet. All right now. <laughs> it's about Jesus. And if you're a Christian, it isn't only because you believed in him. Or excuse me, it is only because you believed it isn't only yeah. The elders are going to have a talk with me after this gathering. Yeah. Where's Tom Lee? You should, have been, you should have been yelling at me, right? There. What would you say? You know? If you're a Christian, it's only because you believed in Jesus Christ. But this passage that we're reading isn't so much about how to establish that kind of relationship with God through Christ. It's about how to resist being deceived by the false teachers, by the cults that deny something Or deny everything about Christ as the cult, the Gnostic cult was doing with the Colossians. Jot this down in your notes. The Christian faith really is a simple thing. What do you mean? We don't get into the family of God by jumping through any hoops, do we? What did Jesus say in John three sixteen? Whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. What did what did Paul and Silas say to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter sixteen? He said, sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? And they said, you've got to go through this. And they gave him 10 different steps he had to take. No, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's by faith, grace, that you're saved, not of your works. It's not anything that we can do ourselves. It's made possible only by the grace of God. That's how we're saved. But the amazing thing, and this is where Paul's going with this point here as you have received Christ, just the same way you received Him, walk in Him. He's saying that the journey we started on when we trusted Christ continues on those same wheels of faith. It's not really complicated yet. How many of us try really, really hard and get really, really frustrated to live a Christian life? How many of us, in trying to live out this Christian life, are really trying to outthink God? Let me, let me give you an illustration of what I mean. The other day, I, as I'm driving around in my truck, I listen a lot to, uh, to ESPN radio, listen to guys talking about football and sports. When they start talking about the NBA, I turn it off. But when they talk about real sports, you know, um, when, they talk about, when, they, when they talk about football and baseball, I'm all into it. Um, if they talk about college sports, I like that too. But they were talking about the University of Notre Dame this year I won't say they played for the national championship, but they were on the field. But, it, but they were talking about their team and the success they've had with this new coach the last few years. And how he's brought them back up to national prominence. And they said one of the things he did was he, in talking to him, kind of like the first day that he's with the team for training camp, gathered all the team together and said, guys, here's one of my expectations of you. I want, when you come in here, everybody's got a locker where your gear goes. I want your helmet to be hung on the hook on this side, and I want your pads to be hung on the, on the hook on that side. And I'm thinking as I'm, you know, these guys are, you know, they're college students, and, and he's telling them which side of the locker to hang. Does it really matter if you put it on this side or that? Come on. I mean, just as long as it's hanging, not laying on the floor, what difference does it make? And they were thinking the same thing on the radio. And so the guy said, here's, let me kind of explain. He says, I talked, I was talking to a, a drill instructor in the Marine Corps. Any, any Marines here today? Any Marines? All right, there was uh, at least one in the last gathering. And he, and he was telling me that in boot camp, basic training in the Marine Corps, if you go down to Paris Island, every Marine has a foot locker." At the base of his bunk, the base of his bed, he's got this locker that's on the floor. You open it up, and it's got all his clothes, all of his belongings for boot camp are there. And one of the things they're told as they go to boot camp is, here is how your stuff will be arranged in your foot locker. You kind of imagine your dresser at, at home, where all you know, you got your socks in one drawer, and you, you know your underwear in a drawer, and your, you know whatever you've got in your drawers, in your dresser. You know, you think about that, and and, he's, and and the drill instructor said, open up your footlocker, and one of the first things they learn is, this is what goes where, this is how I expect to find it, because I will inspect it. For example, your hygiene bag's got your toothbrush and your razor and those kind of things, goes in, let's just say, in the upper left-hand corner. That's where I want it, every single time. And so these Marines... There, if you go to into the barracks and boot camp and open up all the foot lockers and look at them, they all look the same. And so this man asks the drill instructor, well, sergeant, is it, does it really matter that it's all, you know, I can understand if you say, guys, keep your stuff neat. Wherever you want to put it in there, arrange it, how, whatever floats your boat, use your creativity, keep it neat, put it where it's ever convenient to you what does does it really matter that their hygiene bag is up in the upper left hand corner he said of course not that's not what matters that's not the point the reason we tell them how we want it is so that these marines will learn how to obey the simplest commands without question why is that because on the battlefield if a command is given, if an order is given, whether you question or not may be the difference between you, whether you live or you die. There is no time to question. You simply obey. Now, some of us would go in the Marine Corps and, and go in the drill instructor, we'd say, but that's not where I want to put my socks. And they would say, you're not going to be a Marine, You've got to learn how to obey without question. That's kind of like what Paul's talking about here with faith. When you came to Jesus Christ, you didn't understand everything about him, did you? Of course not. I don't, you know, if anybody ever says, I'm not going to believe in Jesus till I've got it all figured out, they're never going to believe in Jesus. Why? I'm still trying to figure out a lot of stuff that's in this book. Most of the stuff I'm still learning. But when I came to him, Jesus says, you come to me with the faith of a little child. What is he saying? You don't have to know it all. You don't have to understand it all. You simply believe. And that was the point there that the football coach was making. That's the point that the drill instructor is making. God doesn't demand us to be robots. God doesn't demand us to sacrifice our intelligence. It's not sometimes that we don't believe, it's that. Sometimes you and I think too much. But sometimes all God wants us to do is simply accept that he wants the bag in the upper right-hand corner. And now Paul says, just like you in simple childlike faith, childlike faith accepted Jesus Christ, now that's how you live out the Christian life from here on out. It's not so much about thinking as it is about believing. Believing. And maybe we're guilty of trying to outthink God. Here's what happens to me. I don't know about you, but here's what happens to me when I don't trust God and I try to think everything out for myself. I'm going to figure this out on my own and i leave God out of it. Do you do that, Rick? You're a preacher. Yeah. Sometimes I do. What happens when I do is I, I might come up with an alternative solution. Or direction that might not be a bad choice, a bad thing, but it's always, always, if, unless it's what God wants, it's second best at, at best. At the most. Paul saying to them here, another point you know it's our journey continues in faith. It began in faith. It continues in faith. And he says, As you have received Christ, so keep walking in him. Paul likes the word walking to describe. How you live your life. For example, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, he says, So that we too may walk in a new way of life. When we baptize new believers here at Nags Head Church, as they go into the water, I like to say, when I'm baptizing, buried in, and this comes from Romans chapter 6, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. What Paul just said, we're walking in a new way of life. So, what does that mean? That means our walk, this life that we're living, that we're to continue in, is to be different and new from our pre-Christ lives. Different. Walk in new life. Romans 8 verse 4 says, Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That tells me our walk is directed by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me as a Christian, not by my wants. Romans 13, verse 13, let us walk with decency as in the daylight. Well, here's what he's saying. Walk in a way that it's though it's in the daylight and everybody can see you. Everybody can see you. I mean, when do thieves break into your car? You know, somebody tried to get in Gail's car, got in Gail's car the other night in the driveway. When, when do they do that? Do they do that in the daylight? Then uh, These kids come around at nighttime and do that. That's when they want to get in. Walk in decency as in the daylight. What is, what is Paul saying there about our walk as Christians, this walk we're living by faith? He's saying our walk is to be morally pure and unashamed. Don't do anything that you would be ashamed of. Don't do anything that Christ would be ashamed of. Second t- uh, Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Scripture tells us that our walk is all about trusting, even if we can't see what's ahead. Here's how Paul describes this faith walk. He says it is rooted in him, verse 6. As you have received Christ, the Lord walk in him rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught. Now, we all understand rooted. We all under, I think everybody here, even though not everybody understood received is in the past tense, we all understand. We all go back to that same fourth grade class. We all understand that roots for a plant do what? They serve a couple of purposes. One purpose a root serves for a plant is it gives it stability. Keeps it from falling over because it's got roots down in the ground. But the second thing that those roots do is those roots go down into the ground so that through the roots it draws up water, it draws up nourishment, it draws up food that, go, that will go from the, underneath the ground where the roots are and reach to the, to the tiniest leaf on the tallest, highest branch. Provides stability provides nourishment. He says we're to be rooted in Christ. Now, if you cut the tree's roots, what happens to the tree? Someone tell me. It dies. You're out and you know, we get out in our yard in the springtime after the winter and things start popping up and in our front yard, man, it's kind of like weed central. And we go out and we pull up weeds and sometimes I'll take a shovel and I'll cut the weeds off, you know, little briars and stuff. And, and if Gail sees me do that, I get in trouble because she says, don't do that. Why? It will keep growing. She says, you've got to get down there and pull it up by the roots, all right, so that it is no longer there, so that it's dead. This is, and we were to be rooted In Christ, and this isn't unlike Jesus' saying. Remember the saying of his about the foundation of your house and determining how it stands in a storm, Matthew chapter 7? He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the waters rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse. Why? Because its foundation was on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now we love to hear that, those words from Jesus here in the Outer Banks. Because everybody who lives here, our houses are built on sand. But we also know that what he said is true, don't we? The rain fell, the rivers rose, or the ocean came in and pounded that house. And it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Why? It had no solid foundation. Our foundation, Paul says, is to be rooted in Christ. The roots of the gospel that saved you are not man's ideas, they are divine because they're in Christ. And you can have confidence. That if you believe the word of God, your faith is in something and someone who is eternal. It's not mythology. It's not psychobabble. Its roots are in the creator of the universe and they go deep. It's eternal, it's unchanging truth. Well, what will cut you at the roots? What if my roots aren't in Christ? What if my roots get cut? What will do that? What will divert the nourishment that you need in Christ? What will cause you and me to topple over when the winds of life blow hard? Paul gives us an answer in verse 9. Look there with me. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. Christ philosophy, empty deceit, based on human tradition, the elemental forces of the world, and by the world it doesn't mean the planet, it means the world's system, the world's way of doing things. Those things don't start with Christ. They don't start with God. They're not rooted in him. They start with man. They start with us. They start with our grasp of nature. They start with the idea You ever hear people say the the greatest purpose of life, the purpose of my life is for me to be happy? Where does that come from? The world's philosophy, and by the way, in order to be happy, what do I have to do to be happy? I have to kind of stay away from and ignore anything that doesn't make me happy. The world's philosophy doesn't start with new life in Christ. In fact, the world's philosophies and human traditions will argue against what God has set up. If indeed you are grounded and established and rooted in Christ, you will, please hear me, church, we're going to talk about this in depth next week, you will be forced to live, I believe, as a Christian in this culture, in this society, you will be forced to live in 2013 in a countercultural way. You'll have no choice. You'll either buy into the world's philosophy or you'll sink your roots into Christ. And there's going to be, and there is being a great divide driven in between the two. But if we as believers in Jesus, who are saved by his blood and purchased and redeemed by his sacrifice, for us to walk in a new life, listen to me, if we revert to the world's philosophy, and, and for some of us, it's really tough, because some of you did not like, you were not like me. I became a Christian when I was a kid. I was 10. And I, so I grew up, you know, in, in, uh, in church and in youth group, and I went to a Christian college, seminary, I mean, I've had this stuff ingrained in me for years and years and years. Some of you didn't come to Christ until you were well into adulthood. So your whole upbringing was in the world's philosophy, in human tradition. And you as a Christian are battling that in your mind all the time. If we revert to the world's philosophy and the world system and the world's values of right and wrong, by the way, Ever increasingly, the world's values of right and wrong is this. There is no right or wrong. I call it the outback philosophy of life. No rules, just right. Let's make everything right. If you buy into that and we turn our backs on what Christ and the word of God says, we will cut ourselves off from our roots. And the nourishment will be gone. And when the storms of life come, we'll cease growing We can't be built up any longer because the foundation has become sand and we will, when the storms of life come, we'll be starving spiritually. Life struggles, the storms, whether they're financial or their relationships or their sickness or maybe death, those things will cause us to crash and burn all because we have reverted and been deceived, Paul says, by emptiness. Back up a little bit with me because some of you are thinking, doesn't God want me to be happy? The answer to that question is this. God wants you to be filled with joy because of your relationship with him. And he wants you to be filled with joy because joy, listen now, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Joy is something that cannot be taken away because joy's roots are in Christ. Joy is a fruit of the spirit of God. Happiness, however, depends on my current circumstances. You look back on your on your past week, Monday through Saturday, Sunday through Saturday. You had some good days, didn't you? Maybe one or two, and you were happy that day. Anybody have a bad day last week when maybe everything seemed to be going wrong, and it just kind of you wish this day would finally get over, and it wasn't a very happy day? Why? Because happiness depends on circumstances. Joy does not. Joy depends on my rootedness in Christ, being in him, and it cannot be taken away. It's like when I'm happy, I'm happy because the sun is shining and the skies are blue, but I'm unhappy when it's cold and nasty and yucky like it is out there today. By the way, the weatherman said it was going to be 70 degrees today, and if you, some people came and said, you said it was flip-flop Sunday because I saw the weather forecast. And I said, flip-flop Sunday. And some of you wore flip-flops today. And you say, my feet are freezing. Why? <laughs> well, you put your trust in the weather, man, and not into the Lord, you know. <laughs> Men can be wrong. And maybe you just saw this played out on Christmas Day. A lot of folks with little children, whether your kids, your grandkids, your little ones so happy. Christmas morning, opening the presents. I like to watch the little, especially the real little ones. They have more fun just tearing off the paper than they do playing with the toys. You know, I, I'm convinced with little ones, one and two-year-olds, you don't need to give them any toys. Just give them some boxes and wrap it up and some bows to stick on their head and they're happy. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they think that's the greatest thing. But you watch, you know, little, little Bobby and he's opening up his present on Christmas morning and he gets the box out and he pulls out his little truck or whatever it is and he's so excited and he sets it down to go to the next one and then his little brother comes along and picks up his truck and goes off and plays with it. All of a sudden, the happiness goes where? Out the door because somebody else has come and taken it away from him. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy re- resides in our hearts in spite of the circumstances. That's how, listen to me. That's why a Christian who is rooted in Christ, established in the faith, all these things that Paul, walking by faith, that's why a Christian who gets the word that he or she has, let's just say terminal cancer, I mean, you're not going to be happy about that. I mean, if the doctor calls me up and says, I've got bad news for you, Rick, you got terminal cancer and probably got a matter of weeks or months before you die. I'm not going to say, oh, right. That's what I've been waiting to hear. I'm not going to go out and pump my fists. that, That won't put a smile on my face, I don't think. And I don't think it should for anybody. But that's happiness. That's why somebody who gets that kind of news, although he isn't happy about it, if he knows Christ, he can experience the joy of the Lord knowing that doesn't matter what I go through in the coming days and coming weeks, I know God's going to go with me every step of the way. And even if this cancer takes my life, immediately I'm going to step into the presence of the Lord. And that person has joy because he's been walking by faith. And that joy overcomes the circumstances. Don't miss what Paul says here. Boy, he says something, I think. He said it before. We talked about this last week. Says it again. Just as you were taught. Whoever the preacher, whoever the missionary, the apostle, who introduced these Colossian Christians to Christ. It wasn't Paul. Paul did not know them personally. Somebody else. But he said to this church, hey, Colossi Church, you know what about you? You guys have been well taught in the faith. And you continue in that faith just as you were taught. It reemphasizes the need for us to have solid teaching, established in the faith as you were taught. We talked last week a little bit about the importance of being in a Bible-teaching church because we all need teachers who can handle the Scriptures. We all need those people in the church who can take the Scriptures and explain to us the basics and beyond the basics, of following Christ. And that's why he gives some in the church a, a special ability, a gift to teach his word to us. That's why here at Nags Head Church, we open the word and see what it says. I've never ceased to be amazed that sometimes we have guests who come and maybe for the first time, or maybe they start coming and they'll come and make the comment to me or to somebody else to say, you know what? I've been going to church a lot in my life, but I've never, I've never been to a church where they actually get up and open the Bible and explain it. Uh, that's what we do here. We believe that we need to teach the word of God. Here's what happens in a cult that will deceive as, as these Colossians were, were being confronted with the Gnostics, the false cult. In a cult, uh, they'll present a false Christ or a new gospel, and here's what happens. Somebody, usually the originator of the cult, claims to have had some kind of new vision, new experience that gives some kind of new revelation that for some reason God has kept secret and kept hidden from us for the last 2,000 years. And yet the Colossians, Paul said, were told to be established in the faith that you were taught. Now, well, let me try this one more time, class. The word taught is in what tense grammatically? Pass. Very good, Teaches in what presence? Oh, I knew it. You guys, present, present? thank you. Okay, just kind of seeing if you're with me there. You just guessed right that time. You're you're taught the faith. This has already happened in their lives. The faith, what faith? The faith or doctrines of the apostles, which are the doctrines written down in the New Testament. Now think about this with me. Put your thinking cap on here. If there was something left out, of the scriptures, the New Testament. There's something that God said, I'm gonna wait till the 1800s to open this up to people. If that was the case, what they had in the first century then was incomplete. It was lacking. You know, there's an old saying that I believe is, is... it's not, you can't find this saying in the Bible, but I think the principle is there. If it's new, it isn't true. And we need to hang on to that when people are presenting something to us. You know, they came out a few years ago, you know, and it became the, the craze with some groups, you know, uh, they've come up with a Bible code. So now we can really know what's in the Bible. You mean for 2,000 years we've been totally ignorant of what's in the Scripture? Be careful with stuff like that. If it's new, God's given us here in the Scripture what we need to know. Get grounded in what you were taught. If you're looking for a church home, find one that teaches the Scriptures and has beliefs that go back 2,000 years, not 100 or 150 or 200. Then verse 7. Paul finishes by saying that when we walk in Christ by faith, look what happens. End of the verse, he said, overflowing with gratitude, with thanksgiving. I know that, and again, I can't speak for you. How do I know personally in my life, how do I know when I'm not walking by faith, when I'm walking by sight, when I'm not trusting God, how do I know when I'm trusting in the philosophies of this world and not in Christ? You know how I know personally? I start whining and complaining. Because if I'm whining and complaining, guess what I'm not doing? Trusting. I'm putting my faith in somebody or something other than the Lord. I whine and I complain. Yet the Bible tells us that Christians, we're supposed to be giving thanks in how many things? Everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God. I picked up a friend the other night to go to a meeting, not wasn't involved with church or anything, but we went to this meeting and picked up this guy, and he, he lives in Spring Arbor, which is um, assisted living facility here in the Outer Banks, and he suffers from a physical handicap. I'm not sure what it is, but he has a physical handicap that has taken away his ability to speak. Can't talk. Uh, no vocal ability. But he has this little thing, it's about the size of an iPad, this little computer thing that he has, carries around his shoulder in a strap, and he can take that thing out. It's got a, not, it doesn't have a keyboard on, it's in the screen, but he can type out words and sentences and so forth. And then when he types it out, he hits this little button and this voice, you know, one of these droid voices kind of speaks for him. So I picked him up the other night and we're traveling to the meeting and I see him get that thing out and I'm watching. And and he he amazed me because the thing was upside down and he's still typing on it. I said, I can't do that. And he's putting the words in and then he hits the button and I hear this voice said, thanks for picking me up and giving me a ride tonight. I said, you're welcome, no problem. We went to the meeting and then I took him back home. And before we got back to Spring Arbor, he's there typing on the thing again and he hits the button and again it says, thanks again for picking me up and giving me a ride tonight. You know, the first time he was expressing thanksgiving. You know, the second time, and one time was enough. He didn't have to eat. That was fine. But he said it a second time. He was overflowing with thanksgiving. He could not be thankful enough. Now listen to me. Don't miss this. This might be the most important thing I say all day. The reason that he was overflowing with thanksgiving is because I had provided him something he could not provide for himself. He doesn't have a car has no ability to drive. I provided for him something that he was unable to provide for himself. Now why should we as Christians be overflowing with thanksgiving? Because we have a Savior, we have a God, and what What in the world has he provided for you and me that we could not provide for ourselves? Let me suggest that you do something sometime today, before you take your nap, before you get into the football game, sit down with a piece of paper and start making a list of the things that your Savior, your God has provided for you that you could not provide for yourself. How about life? How about new life? And start going down and making a list. Then here's what I want you to do. The next time you're tempted to whine and complain about something, teenagers, you're listening. The next time you're tempted to whine and complain about something, pull that list out of your pocket and open it up and just go through that list and start overflowing with thanksgiving and gratitude. And your whining and your complaining will stop. That's about walking in faith. See if your overflowing cup doesn't start to happen. There's a great story in Jesus' life. It's found in Mark chapter 9. You've, let me close with a story. You've heard the story about this man. He, he had a, this father who had a demon-possessed son. And the son was doing all kinds of horrible, self-destructive things, including throwing himself into fires, hurting himself. But he couldn't control it because he's possessed by this demon. And this father, as any parent would be, would be so concerned about the welfare of, of your child, and I'll do whatever I can do, find whatever help I can find, to keep my son from hurting himself and maybe killing himself. And so he hears about Jesus and he hears about this teacher from Galilee who's healing people of their sicknesses, who's casting out demons. Maybe even heard he's heard that he's raised somebody from the dead. But he says, I got to find this person. Well, he goes where, where he finds Jesus is and there he sees Jesus' disciples. Picture you and me, were are Jesus' disciples. And he finds these men and he goes up to him and he says, my son here." is possessed by a spirit. And here's what happens. He foams at the mouth. He throws himself into the fire. I don't know what to do. I'm scared for his life. Can you do anything? And they look at each other and say, Jesus, yeah, we can do this. We've seen Jesus do this before. And so they do what they've seen Jesus do before. They say maybe the same words. Maybe they reach out and they put their hands on him. Maybe they say a prayer. I don't know. But nothing happens. They can't do a thing. And so the man finally finds Jesus and he goes to Jesus and said, look, here's, and he goes through the story and I went to your disciples and they can't help me. And he says to Jesus this. He said, if you can, would you heal my son? And Jesus looks at him and I think Jesus probably cocks his head a little bit. and Maybe looks at the man square in the eyes and he says, if I can, As if to say, what kind of faith is that? And so many of us pray to God as if "If you can, to this omnipotent God who can do anything that he desires, if you can. Jesus said, if I can. And then he said to this man, haven't you heard? Don't you know that all things are possible if you believe? You remember the story, the man's response? I think this father must have had tears in his eyes. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's not so much that you and I don't believe. Maybe that's many of us, we're like that man here every day. We do battle with temptation. We do battle with sin. We do battle with stuff that's happened in our families, and our lives. We believed Jesus enough to save us, but we maybe don't believe him enough that he can keep us on course. And maybe our prayer today should be, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The Christian life starts with faith in Christ and continues day by day by day the same way. It's not complicated. It's simple. It's about being established in him and faith in him. Pray with me, would you? Father, I can relate to that that man with the child I I know I can go back to that time in my life as a 10-year-old boy when I accepted Jesus, when I received him, when I joined myself to him, when I took him as my savior. And I can always go back to that moment and say, that's when I received eternal life. That's when I became a child of God. That's when my sins were forgiven. That's when I was given a home in heaven. I know that. But I don't know, Lord, sometimes during the week, stuff happens. In my life, and I wonder, Lord, how in the world are you going to get me out of this? Convict me today, convict us today of our lack of faith. Help us, Father, to walk in faith just as we receive Christ, to realize it's not that complicated, it's not that difficult, it's not that hard if we will only believe. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.